It's day two of a six-day visit by Czech Senate President Miloš Vystrčil and his delegation. On Monday, Vystrčil witnessed the signing of three agreements between Taiwan and the Czech Republic at a trade and investment forum. The memorandums of understanding will focus on boosting exchanges in smart cities, smart machinery and other tech sectors. On stage, the Czech Senate president delivers a greeting in Mandarin Chinese. Monday was the second day of his Taiwan visit. He headed a delegation with more than 40 Czech industry leaders to a forum on the economy, trade and investment in Taiwan and the Czech Republic. There is a saying in Czech, if you want warmth, simply saying it won't bring you warmth. You'll only get warmth after you light a fire. The Senate president stressed that the Czech value deeds over words. The Czech Republic is Taiwan's fourth biggest investment destination in the EU. In 2019, trade between the two countries reached 820 million U.S. dollars, or over 24.1 billion NT. Companies such as Honghai, Asus, Acer and AU Uptronics have all invested in the European country. Please sign the MOU. In addition to touting strong commercial exchanges, Taiwan and the Czech Republic signed three memorandums of understanding at the event. They centered on smart cities, the so-called artificial intelligence of things, entrepreneurship and smart machinery. The Czech speaker also took the opportunity to respond to China's condemnation over his visit. The main task for a politician is to not hinder economic operations and ensure a good environment for businesses. We must do our utmost to succeed. It's not just for the people of the Czech Republic or for the people of Taiwan. People from all over the world are watching us. Whether this visit is a success will have an impact on any future developments. The Czech Republic and Taiwan are both democratic countries that value human rights. We have similar values to the Czech Republic, so from the beginning we have had a deep relationship with them. As for China, I will not comment on that. The delegation members are touring Taiwan in a diplomatic bubble. This involves every person at every event wearing a mask at all times. Czech and Taiwanese participants must use different entrances and they must all disinfect their hands and pass temperature checks. Event staff must wear face masks as well as transparent face shields. The Taiwan Centers for Disease Control has sent personnel to join events to ensure that there are no public health oversights. The visiting Czech delegation are to receive a special gift on Tuesday at the Legislative Yuan. Three mask manufacturers are giving 20,000 medical-grade face masks featuring the Taiwan and Czech Republic flags and 300 high-tech masks that can protect against viruses. Face masks with the national flags of Taiwan and the Czech Republic printed on them are to be given to the Czech delegation. There are 2,000 masks per box and 10 boxes in total. Deputy Legislative Speaker Tsai Chi-chang and Legislator Jiang Liao-wan-jian took delivery of the masks on Monday. Tomorrow, we will deliver these masks along with Taiwan's friendship and the warmth of Taiwanese people into the hands of the Senate President. Manufactured by Shanghao Biomedical Technology, these medical masks are yellow with the national flags of Taiwan and the Czech Republic on them. Shanghao Biomedical Technology said it's their honor to help Taiwan be seen by the world. This lets the world know that our country, Taiwan, is willing to give masks to our foreign visitors from any country. 
In addition, Chongming Textiles and Everest Textile jointly manufactured 300 high-tech masks that has Stronger Together printed on them. These masks can be cleaned and reused 20 times and are 99.9% antibacterial. Our testing shows that it's more effective than medical masks. It has an effectiveness of 99.9% after five consecutive tests. In April, President Tsai announced a donation of 10 million face masks to several countries. European Union nations, including the Czech Republic, received masks in that round of donations. On Sunday, the Czech delegation arrived wearing Taiwanese masks. This week, Taiwan will again donate masks to the Czech Republic to build a deeper relationship between the two countries. Controversy is brewing after the government's decision to lift a zero-tolerance ban on ractopamin, a leanness-enhancing additive found in U.S. pork imports. On Monday, Health Minister Chen Shizong defended the safety profile of ractopamin, saying he would have no problem eating U.S. meat imports himself. Chen was speaking in a radio interview with pundit Clara Cho. When asked what was to be gained from the new policy, Chen said it was a change to Taiwan's international status. Asked if he'd be willing to eat U.S. pork and beef containing ractopamine, the health minister said it would not be a problem. In the wake of Tsai lifting import rules on U.S. meat, questions have been raised about the political calculus behind it. It helps to change Taiwan's international status. Where does status come from? It comes from mutual respect. On the basis of science, we practice mutual respect. If Taiwan cannot even do that, then how can Taiwan raise its status? Chen said the new policy was about changing Taiwan's international status. He denied the allegation that the transaction would harm public health. We would not be able to eat that amount over several lifetimes. Eating one piece absolutely would not do it. Eating 33 pieces a day for a lifetime, or 5 to 10 years, nothing would happen to you. And how could you eat 33 pieces? And the risk is even lower than that. Because it's not like you would go out of your way to buy U.S. pork and beef and specify that you want meat containing ractopamine. Following the new policy, the Food and Drug Administration released a risk report based on the most extreme scenario, that of all pork products containing the maximum level of ractopamine residue. According to the FDA, a woman who has just given birth can safely eat two pig kidneys and two pig livers and still remain within the bounds of acceptable risk. But despite the official report, rumors linger that the U.S. Health Secretary Alex Azar is connected to an American ractopamine manufacturer. It said that during Azar's recent visit to Taiwan, lobbying for market access was on the agenda. Health Minister Chen denied it on Monday. I feel that discussing this is absurd. There is no such thing. When Secretary Azar came to talk to me, he did not mention any issue related to this at all. Amid the pandemic, Health Minister Chen is facing the fresh test of U.S. meat imports. He's taken to the front line to defend the policy and to assure the public of food safety. Taiwan's third COVID vaccine developer to be approved for human trials is Medigem, following Adimmune and United Biomedical. The Food and Drug Administration made the announcement on Monday, saying it had granted a conditional approval. The biotech company says it expects to test its vaccine on 50 people in Taiwan in phase one before launching a phase two trial overseas. Today, the FDA conditionally approved Medigen's plans to start phase one clinical trials of its COVID vaccine candidate. 
Following Adamune and United Biomedical Asia, Medigen has become the third firm to get the green light from the central government to test its COVID vaccine candidate on humans. The firm expects to trial its vaccine on 50 people in phase one. As for phase two, we're planning to have 3,000 subjects. They will be separated into groups 2A and 2B. 2A will comprise subjects in Taiwan and 2B will incorporate subjects overseas. We hope that in phase two trials, we'll start to see some of the therapeutic effects. Meanwhile, Adamune is working on launching phase two trials in November. It plans to produce between 1.5 million and 2 million vaccine doses by Spring Festival of 2021. Its vaccines could be available to the general public by mid-2021. United Biomedical Asia says it will launch a combined phase two and three trial by year's end. It hopes to produce between 50 million and 100 million vaccine doses between December and the end of the first quarter of 2021. Now that Medigen has gotten conditional approval for phase one, there's only one Taiwan developer, Enimmune, that's still in the animal testing stage. Enimmune expects to launch human trials in the fourth quarter and to complete phase three by the end of 2021. The most ambitious goal is that of United Biomedical Asia, which aims to produce 100 million doses by Q1 2021. The company says it's looking at Brazil for the next phase of its vaccine clinical trials. We'll take the data from the phase one trial in Taiwan and use it to apply for permission to test the vaccine abroad. We have already made plans for the US and Brazil for carrying out the trials there. Of course, trials will be happening in Taiwan at the same time. Adamune is developing and testing its candidate in collaboration with National Taiwan University Hospital. Medigen's candidate combines Taiwanese and American expertise. It's a partnership between NTU Hospital and the U.S. National Institutes of Health. Enimune is working with Taiwan's National Health Research Institutes. The four biotech firms are racing to produce a COVID vaccine to shore up a key vulnerability in Taiwan's line of defense. According to Taiwan's defense ministry, a U.S. destroyer transited the Taiwan Strait from the south on Monday. It's the ninth time this year that a U.S. warship has sailed the strait. Also on Monday, Taiwan's defense ministry delivered a report to legislature that said China's defense spending would reach a record 1.268 trillion Chinese yuan in 2020. But even so, the defense ministry says Beijing is not yet capable of a full-scale invasion of Taiwan. The report cites constraints, including Taiwan's geographic features, as well as China's inadequate fleet of landing vehicles and logistics capabilities. The mayor of Shinzu has apologized after a three-year-old girl was hurled into the sky by a kite last Sunday at a local festival. She was airborne for 30 terrifying seconds before onlookers could grab her and pull her to safety. Miraculously, she emerged with only minor scrapes. The Shinzu mayor has promised stricter safety protocols for all large public events. The festival's candy kite event that led to the accident has now been banned. People scream as a three-year-old girl flails in the sky, trapped at the tail end of a kite. Strong winds hoisted her up to a height of seven stories. She was thrown in the air by the kite for almost 30 seconds. This was at the annual International Kite Festival held by the Asian Kite Forum in cooperation with the Xinzhou city government. The two-day event began last Saturday at Nanliao Fishing Harbor. 
The following afternoon, a staff member was preparing a long kite for a candy toss event when a strong gust blew in, measuring seven on the Beaufort scale. A three-year-old girl got tangled in the kite's tail and was swept up. For some 30 seconds, she thrashed in the sky until staff was able to lower the kite and she was pulled down to a safe landing. A man surnamed Lin jumped up to become the first to reach her. I jumped up to pull her down. I grabbed her quite tightly and held onto her with a lot of force because I was afraid she'd be pulled up again. The girl narrowly escaped what could have been a life-threatening crash. She was immediately sent to hospital, where she was treated for scrapes and bruises to her neck. She did not have broken bones or internal injuries. One day later, Shinju Mayor Lin issued a public apology. The candy toss event that led to this incident will absolutely not be held again. In the future, all large-scale activities will be subject to stricter public safety requirements. These requirements will be on the organizers in the government as well as the contractors that run them. The control zone wasn't big enough. Next time we do something like this, we may consider expanding the control zone. The candy toss was promoted as a main attraction of the Shinju Kite Festival. Some kite enthusiasts say it was a disaster waiting to happen. It's very dangerous, extremely dangerous. People rush in to catch the sweets and crash into one another. They get near the kite. If the kite is wider than a person and you don't attach a tail, that's fine. But if it has a tail, it can whip around and fling you up. The wind speed picked up very fast, very quickly. So at the back of the pilot kite, a tail was attached. The tail was around 24 meters long. That was to stabilize the pilot kite and keep it balanced. Shinju International Kite Festival is now in its fourth year. This edition drew around 10,000 people. The winds at Nanliao Fishing Harbor reached speeds of 7 on the Beaufort scale, capable of picking up an object that weighs 60 kilograms. The harrowing incident goes to show that kites can be dangerous if not carefully handled. Light blue face masks are a dime a dozen, but other colors and patterns can be near impossible to find. In recent days, some enterprising individuals have made cash waiting in line to buy unusual masks on behalf of a busy client. This job doesn't require much besides being present, but it's better to steer clear if you want a quick buck. For the rarest masks available on the market, the lines can last as long as 24 hours. Colorful masks are for sale at this shop, drawing a serpentine queue. Many of those waiting outside could in fact be professional line sitters. Their services can be had for 200 to 300 NT an hour. For example, queues for orange masks, pink masks, and camouflage masks can last between 5 and 6 hours. So the fees would be between 1,000 NT and 1,200 NT. For rarer designs, they can be as long as 12 hours or a whole day. You might need to stake out a place in line the night before. That's a more expensive service. Some line sitters camp outside the shops at night, enduring mosquitoes. This is work that's attracted students and older women keen on earning extra cash. If they have to camp out at night, of course they go prepared. They might bring a small stool, a phone, a battery pack. They might need an umbrella. Rumor has it that some professionals take shortcuts to conserve manpower. First, one sitter shows up to wait in line. When the time to purchase draws near, a large group of people will turn up to join the original sitter, effectively cutting the line. I've seen that before. One person was in line and then a car pulled up and out came out an army of grannies. 
That can be frustrating for the shop and other customers. The more common way to deal with this is having the shop take care of it. The pandemic is still raging abroad, and mask wearing is enforced in many places in Taiwan. As demand rises for stylish, colorful masks, line sitters are doing brisk business. Renowned Taiwanese performance groups are going on tour as part of a tourism bureau campaign called Taiwan Small Town Ramble. Starting Saturday, they'll be heading out to small towns to perform at 16 venues. The campaign hopes to pull people from big cities into little towns to enjoy a world-class show. Paper Windmill Theatre takes the stage to kick off an event on the Transport Ministry's campaign to promote the charm of small towns. Once again this year, arts and performance troops will be holding shows in small towns all over Taiwan. They're hoping to turn a show into a tourist attraction. Starting September 5th to mid-December, performance troops will take the stage in 16 small towns across Taiwan. One of them, Paper Windmill Theatre, will perform 11 shows. Our performances all start at 7 p.m., so after tourists spend the day sightseeing, they can watch us perform at a set location at 7 p.m. Because of the pandemic, our performance troupe hasn't had a show in half a year. The 2020 edition of the Taiwan Small Town Ramble is going ahead despite the pandemic. This year has been able to expand its scope, scheduling world-class performances to attract more visitors to Taiwan small towns. This program can create a win-win-win situation. Performing arts troupe will have work and an income. The small towns that we are promoting will be put on the map, and tourists can come and enjoy a good show. We will continue after 2.0. There will be a 3.0. We will be expanding our selection of small towns to 100 towns all around Taiwan. Organizers hope the performances will entertain and give a boost to domestic tourism. For tourists, the shows are a chance to get reacquainted with the charm of small towns. President Tsai Ing-wen's long-term care 2.0 policy is now four years old. But what has it meant for the lives of Taiwan's elders? At community centers for senior citizens, services focus on providing opportunities for creative expression, letting participants rediscover their place as part of a valued community. Let's head now to one center in Taichung to find out more. Boiling water is carefully poured into coffee grounds to produce the perfect brew. Meanwhile, picture-perfect buns emerge from the steamer piping hot. They've all been handmade by the project participants. To make the buns, you make a paste from dragon fruit. You add flour, knead it. There's pumpkin flavor too. They're good for you. When we come here, there's usually a teacher teaching something, and we all work together to make it. In art class, they paint on black paper and learn from a tutorial. This is the center of Taichung's Dadaren Senior Care Association. Here, elderly members of the community can express themselves and find new fields to learn and explore. We're rolling out more elderly communities than any other area in Taiwan. That means our coverage is better. What we'll demand in the future is for the quality to improve. If there's a profit on their handmade goods, their products, that is shared between the seniors. It lets them feel, I'm getting older, but actually I still have value. I can still earn money. As the long-term care 2.0 scheme enters its fourth year, it's focusing on restoring life skills and elderly care centers are thriving with creative activities. 
Now, would you like a spa treatment picked for you by a computer? A hotel in Taipei is now offering tailor-made wellness treatments designed by a system that harnesses artificial intelligence. Your spa therapist inputs your symptoms, which are run against a database of anonymized patient data gathered from clinics around the world. After a bit of analysis, the software curates a traditional Chinese medicine treatment just for you. Let's see it in action. This hotel in Taipei has launched an AI Chinese medicine spa. It's a tailor-made experience for each guest. First, spa therapists ask patrons about their symptoms and enter them into a database. The computer then finds treatments that will suit the client. Each guest gets a spa treatment incorporating the recommendations generated by the computer. There's customized essential oil massages and herbal packs that target specific ailments and parts of the body. At the end, guests can also receive a personalized pressure point maintenance kit they can use at home. So guests actually come in here and they experience a very tailored-made um, experience. So they get the AI database wellness consulting experience first. Um, we understand their concerns and their specific symptoms and then we incorporate our treatments and suggestions into the massage treatment that they experience later on, including specific herbal packs and specific acupuncture points. The hotel says the high-tech system can give patrons a rest from hectic urban life while boosting their health and well-being. So we've really tried to um, target the post-pandemic health concern. The most popular concerns that we've seen here at Wellspring Spa is headaches and uh, gastrointestinal problems. And we've really tried to help our guests alleviate those symptoms. Because the system really is a combination between um, traditional Chinese medicine and wellness and also with really the latest technology. So we expect our revenue to increase by more than 10% this season. The inventor of the consulting system is Dr. Philip Chang, a U.S. Silicon Valley-based entrepreneur. The AI-powered system stores millions of entries on the cloud, pairing symptoms with their suggested therapies. The system is touted as the first to combine data science with traditional Chinese medicine. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Cai Chen Yo, in Taipei.